0: Connestee, how ye? Welcome to Candle of Tales. This is another story in our series of stories for the dark. This is a story that we used to tell quite a lot, but haven't told for a long time because it's too long and it's way too dark. So it seemed perfect for this series. This podcast is supported by our patrons at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales you can go there and join them you can make a one-time donation using the paypal button on our website you can like you can share you can comment you can subscribe you can do all of those things to support us but for now just sit back and enjoy this story begins with family two brothers There was Cahawc and there was Leary, and they were both kings. They were both men of high station and well-respected, but they were not equal. Leary had the higher position. He was king of all Ireland and Cahawc was the king of a province of not much renown at that time a kind of a backwater, called Leinster. And Cock began to feel jealousy and envy of his brother grow inside him. It began to seem to him that his brother was mocking him. Whenever they visited, there was a little smile Whenever Leary complimented his household, it was a little condescension in his manner and his attitude. Cock tried to convince himself for a while that this was something that was in his head, but the suspicion remained and the jealousy grew. And it grew until it seemed to take up physical space inside him. It was hard for him to eat, hard for him to sleep. The physician said that it was a wasting sickness that he had. And he began to be known by the people as Kahok Quail, Kahok the mean, the miserly, because of how thin and weak he had become. And his brother, Leary, all concerned, came to visit him one day. And as he was coming into the house, there was a a little chicken scratching in the front yard, scratching and pecking, and Leary stepped on it, broke its little neck, killed it. And when Cahuk Quail saw this, it was like a thunderclap. All his doubt fell away, and he realized that he was right. He had been right the whole time. Leary hated him. Leary was out to get him. Leary couldn't let him have anything. Not even a little chicken pecking in the dirt. And with that doubt removed from him, it was as if Cahawk found a new vitality, a new energy. And so he drove forward with a plan It was a plan that had been in the back of his mind for a long time, in that place where we do not like to look, in that place where all our darkest dreams reside. All those thoughts of vengeance and how we would tear down those who've wronged us, all those things we'd push down because they are not civilised and they are not nice. These all came to the fore for Cahawk And so... He gathered his servants and he told them to put out word that his, his sickness had claimed him. That he had died. And they helped him carry on this subterfuge. That Cahook was dead. They put the word out. They dressed him and laid him out as if he were a corpse. And he was indeed so thin, so wasted from this jealousy that had been eating him up inside for so long. That he looked little more than a corpse. And word went out. And the people started to arrive. And the first to arrive was the High King Leary. Rushing to his brother. And when he saw his brother laid out in his funereal attire, he threw himself on Cahoc's body, keenly. And Cahoc took out the knife that he had in his hand and plunged it through Leary's back, into his heart. Well, with his brother slain, there was more to be done, a great deal more if he were going to make sure that his position was secure. So Kahok waited until his brother's son Oliel arrived, and when Oliel had arrived for the funeral of Quail, Kohok had him poisoned. Others who arrived were let in on the truth that Kohok meant to seize the high kingship and all of those kings who arrived who heard this, who saw this well many were horrified but most of them most of them thought that it would be better to be on the right side of a man such as Cahok it would be better to have such a man leading you than attacking you and so, one by one, they agreed to support him. And when. when the grandson of Leary arrived, a little boy, the son of Audiel and of Anya, Gog knew that this child was not a risk at that time but knew that he might become a risk and so he took the boy aside in private fed him a heart and when the boy had finished his meal and only when he had eaten it all did cog tell him and show him that this was the heart of his own father Oliel. And when the boy saw what had happened, what he had done, he lost the power of speech. And so satisfied, Cahawk knew that no one who could not speak could be a king. And so he let the boy's mother take him away. And Cahawk Quail became the High King of all Ireland leaving Leinster behind. Cog ruled for many years. And his rule was not a terrible one. He was not a wicked tyrant. But he was a man who cared very much about power. And he was a man who cared very much to make sure that no one had more power than he and so one day at a feast, he asked the poets and the harpists assembled there to tell him who was the most generous ruler in all Ireland. And he was surprised when one of the harpers, Craftna, said, Oh, it's Muen, Mwen Lynchuk." Mwain. Meaning the one who does not speak, Lynchuk, meaning the exile, Cox's own grandnephew, the boy, now a man, was perhaps not as little a threat as he had thought. Muen was raised in a kind of exile by his mother Onya. He couldn't speak, and she knew that that gave him a level of protection against his uncle. Kahuk would not kill the boy without reason. He was obsessed, but he was not completely insane, as far as Anya was concerned. And she told her son to wait and bide his time, that all things would come in time that his opportunity would present itself in time if only he and she could wait. Wait and be careful. And when, despite his muteness, was an engaging and charismatic youth. And so friends and followers did gather to him and to his mother. Until the day when he was playing hurling and he was struck by someone else's hurl and he cried out, I'm hurt. And those watching, they said, ah, Lowry, he speaks. And as his name had been for his muteness, now his name was for his speech. He became known as Lowry Lynchuk, the exile who speaks. But he became more in exile on that day than he had been before. His mother told him straight away. With this sign, he could not stay in Ireland. If Quail learned that he was speaking again, then he really would see Larry as a threat. And so, Larry left. He went to the lands of the Gaul and he became somewhat renowned there. He was given great responsibilities. He was made a leader of the armies of one of the kings there. And a lot of the warriors he commanded felt they had more loyalty to him than to their own king. In Munster at this time, there was a king called Scoria, And he had a very beautiful daughter called Muerith. Muerith was so beautiful. And her parents had such a high opinion of her, her beauty, her manner, her education, that they were convinced there was no man in the world who was worthy of her hand in marriage. And so they kept a very, very close eye on Wedith. Her mother used to sleep outside her bedroom door. And not just that, but her mother learned a trick of sleeping with one eye open half the night, resting the other, And then switching at midnight,
1: so that her daughter was never
0: unwatched and her daughter's door was never unguarded. The poet, Craftina, and the harper, who arrived at this court, found Muerith a lonely girl. She dreamed of a household of her own, a life of her own. ...out from under her mother's watchful eye. And so, Craftina started to tell her stories. He told her of the greatest heroes of the day. He told her... ...particularly... ...stories of Larry Lynchuk, The exile... ...who had been the boy Mwen, ...who was now the man who spoke who had become a leader over in the lands of the Gaul. And Myrith fell in love with these stories, fell in love with this man who had been through so much. And so she composed a love song. And she asked Craftina to take it to this man as a declaration and to ask him to come and find her if there was a chance he might feel the same way. And so Craftonow went across the seas. He found Larry Lynchuk, found the head of these armies after long and a difficult travel. And when he came before Larry Lynchuk, he explained that the king's daughter of Munster had fallen in love with him. And he played for Larry Lynchuk, the song of worth. And when he heard her passion, and her words and the melody she had composed Lowry was intrigued that she would go to such trouble for him that she would have such skill at poetry and at music this touched him and Lowry was a pragmatic man the king's daughter of Munster would be a powerful alliance and he had business in Ireland The time had not yet come, but perhaps it was drawing a little closer. And so Larry Lynchuk handed in his notice to the King of the Gaul and left that place and came back to Ireland and with him came 2,000 of these foreigners with their broad-bladed spears, unlike the ones that were found in Ireland. And Lowry went to Munster, to Scoria's house, where he was welcomed. He was of royal lineage. His tragic history came before him. And of course, Meredith, when she saw him, almost melted in delight. And at the feast that evening, Marith and Lowry spoke to one another across the table with her parents sitting in between watching every word for any double meaning but still, the two were able to see that there was much that they agreed upon and that the feelings they'd had for one another from afar were only amplified by meeting in the flesh. Now there was the problem of her mother, who stayed awake every night, one eye open in turn, watching her door. But Craftina, the harper, he had a magical touch, and so he played the music of sleep. And Meredith's mother slept. And in the morning, Meredith's mother looked at her daughter. And from the way she was sleeping, or the way she was smiling, or the way she was sitting, or something in the way that she was carrying herself, her mother knew immediately that her daughter was no longer a maiden. And she was moving, she was smiling, she was sitting in the way that a wife does. And when she told her husband, Scoria was furious. He was ready to gather his whole army and go and hunt down the man who had dishonoured his daughter until Lowry spoke and said, Moirith, you should tell them. And she told them that it was Lowry. She and he had spent the night together. They had wed in secret. And when her parents found out that it was he, they changed their tune to celebration. They invited him for a feast, and Scoria pledged that he would help Lowry get back the kingship of Leinster. And now the time was coming. It was coming ever closer. It seemed to be galloping closer day by day. A time when Lowry would have his vengeance for his father and his grandfather and himself. He had the help of the King of Munster. He had the exiles of Gaul with him, an army that followed him across the seas. And the two armies together attacked the capital of Leinster. In those days, it was a place called Dindri. But the defenders of Dindri were fierce, and the walls were high and the attackers were not able to overcome until Lowry called to Craftina to help again and Craftina played the song of sleep and as the attackers blocked their ears the defenders heard the soft music sweep over them and fell asleep. Myrith listened as well unable to resist because she loved music so and she was the only one on the side of the attackers who slept and slept for a night and a day and woke up when the battle was over. The defenders slaughtered and Larry Lynchuk, no longer in exile, was the King of Leinster. His uncle Cahoc was still the High King and Larry knew this and he knew that Cahoc would be worried and he knew that he should be worried as well. There was a peace between them, but it was not a peace that could last. And it is said, and it was said in those days, that every Leinster man has a secret. Lowry made sure that all the men of Leinster were carrying the same secret. His secret. His plan, his vengeance. He had them all get to work, making boards of iron and planks of iron and nails of iron. And then in secret, coming together to assemble a feasting hall of iron. And then, gathering the wood, Cover the iron, so that the feasting hall looked like an ordinary place. Only his wife and his mother knew truly what he planned. And when all was in readiness, Larry Lynchuk filled that iron feasting hall with food and drink, and tables and seats and wall hangings and all luxurious things that he could think of. And then he sent an invitation to Cahog to come to a feast, to put aside their old differences once and for all as two kings. Now Cahog did not trust this message one bit. He had long ago perfected this art of inviting with one hand and stabbing with the other he did not trust his grandnephew but he was not going to turn him down, he was High King he did need to seem as if he could coexist with this man And so he brought with him 300 kings, a great retinue, far too powerful for anything that Larry Lynchuk could do, too prestigious to go against in public. But When he came to the walls of that feasting hall, that great beautiful house with nothing wrong with it at all. Nothing suspicious in anything there save that it was empty. He could not bring himself to walk in. Something in Cohock stopped him, and he lingered at the threshold. And there he might have stayed, and there might have been a battle, and Larry Lynchuk might have died, and Leinster might have remained a backwater forever. But Larry's mother Onya stepped forward and she took a hook by the hand and she led him in and she looked back to her son and under her breath she said Death is coming in any case But this is your opportunity. She led Cahog inside, and from the door, Larry announced to all of them that they had everything they needed in there. They had plenty of food, plenty of drink, and plenty of fire. And with that, he barred the doors. And for a long moment, he hesitated, thinking of his mother. Thinking of her words, thinking of himself, the boy he had been, the man he was now, the vengeance he needed to take, and so he decided to honour his mother's sacrifice, and he set fire to the feasting hall, killing all who dwelled within it. This podcast was produced and edited by Oisín Ryan. You can find out more about us on our website, Candlelit And we're on all the social media, so like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Candlelit Tales or send us a message to get onto our mailing list. For more videos and live streams, like and subscribe to our Candlelit Tales YouTube channel, which now has a Candlelit Tales for Kids playlist. Hashtag Candlelit Tales. Liking and subscribing to our channels really helps us grow and get to more people. And if you're able to give us more direct support, you can chip in a few bob at patreon.com forward slash candlelit tales or make a one-time donation through the PayPal button on our website. We also do really like to hear back from you you with any questions, requests or comments. Leave them in the section below. If you want to find out about our courses, anything like that, just drop us a line. And we especially appreciate you listening.